Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. C'est un rêve en moi Si vrai, si fort Okay, I'm thinking of something. And I'm going to give you 20 questions, but instead it's five questions. So it's five yes or no questions, and I'll answer it as to what I am. Are you Robbie or Squidge or whatever people want to call you? Uh, no, not oh, for the purpose no. of this game, but okay. yes, in actuality. Are you uh, Will Owen? Allegedly. Um, right, okay. But I can make something up that I am maybe later that you can, sure, ask, sure, stu- sure. You can ask stupid questions about. Anyway, so are you a living thing? No. That's oh. two down. Okay. Are you an abstract concept? Kinda, yeah, I suppose so. Okay. I I'm struggling to understand how you can kind of be an abstract concept. Unless you're like one of those rugby players who isn't real, but Yes. Um, you know those rugby players that aren't real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know those rugby players. John Jamu quite the hangar, yeah. <laughs> those yeah. rugby players that aren't real. Exactly, exactly. Is that where you are? No. No, okay. How can you kind of be an abstract concept? Are you a word? No. Are you well, a place? Like, there is something tangible relating to it, but it also is an abstract concept, and it's made up in the minds of everyone. It only exists in the minds of everyone who chooses to buy into it, and yet okay. it is also tangible as a thing. Christ, okay. It's Are not you... a person or place or thing. Mm. Okay, okay. It's um... really not that hard. It is from it's this. It's really not that hard. No, you've got context clues in the what is the podcast. Yeah, but considering I've got basically anything to choose from, are you the rugby position flanker? No, but you're getting close. Okay. Well, I've taken five questions up, I think. So. Okay. No, no, no. Two more questions. Okay. Think a bit bigger, a bit wider. Are you a rugby position? No bit wider. Are you the sport of rugby? I am the sport of rugby union football, and I am delighted to welcome you to the Squidge Rugby World Cup Retrospective, the only rugby podcast that is about this sport. So, how are you doing? Yeah, I mean, I feel completely worn out from that game. That was very, very tiring. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not as good a game as rugby union football, but what is? cricket so today we are here for one reason and one reason only though i suspect we'll find some others and that i'm is... running out of reasons why i'm here i'm not gonna lie to you <laughs> to talk about georgia's first ever win in the rugby world cup is it now it is i guess that makes sense indeed. they celebrated it very hard at the end of yeah it, so now that makes sense as to why they would do that they were very happy to win a game so georgia went to the 2003 world cup didn't win a single game but good on them for qualifying. They'd only been a country for seven years at that point. Sure. However, they then go to the 2007 World Cup, at that point, a country for 11 years, and they do manage to beat Namibia 30 points to nil. Yeah, what a bloody game of rugby this was. Ooh, I'm going to tell you up front, I did not find this game interesting. (laughs) 
This was a game of rugby that I have watched at some stage in my life. This is a game where the occasion of what it represents is interesting. The actual, you know, kind of as a moment in rugby history, and there's a lot of things that kind of come to a climax in this particular match. Okay. As a game, it's not very good. Yeah. As an occasion, it's more interesting. So perhaps don't watch the game, but listen to the podcast on it. That's a good idea. I'm about to introduce a brand new segment of this podcast. Oh, good. We've had two of these up front. Yes. And this brand new podcast segment is called Previously on the Squidge Rugby World Cup Retrospective. Oh, my God. You know, no, no, because no, 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 you, know you know what happens in this game. No, I don't. I don't want to know until I watch it. Okay, 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 okay. It's to the podcast, mate. So, at that point, that was in the last episode that we did, and that was just as we announced that we were going to do Georgia against Namibia from the 2007 Rugby World Cup as the next episode of the podcast. At which point, you then implied that something happens in this game. And I won't lie to you, I watched this game, it's going through the whole thing thinking, oh, but something's going to happen soon. Something's going to happen soon. And... Fuck all happened in this game. What on earth? Your, your face tells me that you do not know what you were referring to. Absolutely no idea what I was referring to. Exactly. Oh, no. <laughs> no idea what I meant. So this is the first time we've ever had a previously on this podcast section and you've already forgotten what you were talking about. I've absolutely no idea what I'm referring to. <laughs> and I'm terrified it's going to come to me. And I'm going to be panicked in the night and we'll have to do a second episode on this game. Yeah, I know. One episode's bad enough. It was in the context of us bringing up that Vitboy was playing. Yeah. I wonder if I thought Vitboy scored or something. I don't well, know. I was bloody fucking hoping Vitboy would score and we he came nowhere near. does play in this game, which is a step up. Yes, he does. I think he touches the ball once in the entire match yes, and gets immediately does. surrounded by like six Georgians and yes. goes, oh, not time to have a crack. I'll wait my turn because I am Vitboy. That is exactly what happens in this game. I got so frustrated at this because I spent the entire time thinking, Vitboy's going to happen soon. They're going to announce Vitboy. And I spent the whole time just like, I have so many moments in my notes where I've written down, give it to Vitboy. Like, yep. announce Vitboy, get Vitboy involved. There's a point where Vitboy gets involved in a mall, and I really enjoyed that. Like, that, that counts as having a crack, right? Like, he's having sure. a crack at something that he maybe isn't usually involved in. Well, he gets so a crack at a mall. Going into this game, the only thing I knew happened in it was David Kasharava scored an interception try. Okay. That was the only thing I knew happened. I don't think I'd have been that excited for the thought of former Georgian outside centre David Kasharava scoring an interception try. See, I didn't even know that happened. Yeah, and I've included a video a few times whenever I need to go to like a clip of the nightmare being good at defence. It's his tackle on Conrad Smith. That's fair. And it's the intercept try against Namibia. It's like two easy points you can go to. Because uh, yeah. I've been doing this for a bloody long time and you learn to use shorthands. Uh, yes. David Kasharava, we've made this point repeatedly on the 2007 one uh, and even more on the 2011 one. Bloody great defensive centre. Nicknamed the nightmare for the fact that everyone that played against him had a nightmare. And I think the entire Namibian backline fit into that category yeah god bless the namibian backline in this game like they had oh, no man. idea how to get going and the thing is they're quite a decent backline as we've learned as this has gone on and yet they had literally no way of doing anything positive in this game it's probably because they weren't giving it to vitboy 
Yeah. I mean, I think all teams at all times should be looking to give it to Vitboy. I would agree with that. Personally. I understand that sometimes you are not on the team that contains Vitboy and he is in a different continent. And therefore it is physically difficult to get the ball from the pitch to wherever Vitboy is. I understand sometimes there's like several games going on at once and all of them are trying to get the forward to Vitboy and that'd be overwhelming for him. That's understandable. But, but but these guys... I still think it should be the aim, right? If Fitboy is on the pitch, you really have no excuse, whether yeah. you are Georgia or Namibia. Especially when he's on your team. Especially. I, that is very, very disappointed. Should we think about some of the people that we're very disappointed in? Oh, I guess we should. I guess we should. I mean, to be fair, to kind of preface it, this is Namibia's last game of the Rugby World Cup in 2007, right? And... We're going to talk about this more when we get to the Namibian leaving party at the end of the episode. Mm. But I feel like there's a part of it that I just want to skip ahead and do now. How have you reflected on Namibia on the whole in this tournament? Really interesting thing, because this is kind of, in some ways, I don't think it's the best Namibia team we've seen in a tournament, but it's sort of their best run of performances. 100% agree. That's just what I was hoping you'd say. This is arguably their greatest Rugby World Cup ever, considering they've never won a game. But... They had two games where they really frustrated an opposition. And also, like, there is a point in this game where it looks like it looks feasible that they could come back and win it. Yeah, yeah. And, like, obviously they don't come close to beating France, but, like, they make more of a game of it and frustrate them more than you think. Yeah. For the first half, at there least. Are, there are a couple and of injuries away right from end. being competitive for a bit yeah. longer in that game. Ireland, they were absolutely fantastic against. You know, that was arguably their greatest Rugby Cup performance ever. And they are great value. They really deserve to have been as close to them as they would have been if Jerry Flannery hadn't scored in the last couple of minutes. Sure. And in the end, the scoreboard looks a bit more like... It looks like the kind of score... 32-17 looks like the kind of scoreboard where one team's been in control and one team's scored late on. Yeah. And actually, it was sort of the opposite. And it was sort of... Sure. Actually, it was a really level game. And then there was a try right at the end to seal it from the team that had always been yeah. loosely in control of the game. Yeah. I pretty much have the exact same thought on Namibia here because it's a really good Namibian team. Mm. Interestingly, I don't think of this starting team on paper as being as good as their 2011 team, even though yeah, they performed agreed. much better, which is a weird one but, because I think between World Cup cycles, everyone improves, so it's hard I to think, kind of hold yeah, that metric. That 2011 and 2015 teams, and potentially you can go further back as well, you can go to the 2003 team, are all teams that include more great individual players. Yeah. And the, what Namibia did in 2011 was largely built out of individuals who were very talented. Yeah, um, sure. So you had the Heine box of the world. Obviously, Tynes Cots are one of our favourites. And you had the players like, you mentioned everyone getting the, better, right? The Jacques Berger is know. good in this tournament. He's yeah. a good flanker. He is a bloody exceptional flanker in 2011. I would and say... he is one of the best flankers in the world in 2015. That's it. I would say he's above good here. I'd say he's a very, yeah. very good flanker with an insane amount of potential. Like, a yes. guy like Taya Gajev in 2019 kind of vibe. Mm. To use an example that maybe not everybody will quite remember, but... But would have got a, a few years ago. And for anyone who remembers the 2019 World Cup is listening to this, the Russian flanker who you thought was class, yeah. uh, <laughs> listener, because you will remember, you re- will remember that. Jacques Berger is kind of of that level. And mm. if he had then kicked on and, you know, s- stuck with professional rugby in the way that uh, Jacques Berger did, you know, as you say, he's two, four year stints of becoming, yeah, top in international, two world class flanker, as happens with Jacques Berger. And like, Tina Stupacy is a player yeah, who is, again, very promising here. 
Tinas Duplessis, Pete Van Zale, Eugene Yankees, all players that go on and improve and build from here. Yeah, They're all players sure. that are better for the experience of playing in a World Cup once and then coming back and having another go, having another crack at it, as Vitboy would have loved. And he should have had, should have been one of those players that got another go. But w- what are we to do about it? Hugo Horn, likewise. Yeah. But then you also had a few players like Keith Lensing, who are very much at the opposite end of their international career. And sure. you can kind of tell, like, all credit to Keith Lensing. He had a fantastic career, was a great captain, clearly, I think, leads this side very well. Yeah. And leads some of the performances they make. He is not up to the standard anymore as a player, I think, but he's still their best captaincy option. Yeah, I get, um, I get that. I, I both agree and disagree. I'm not going to say up to this level. That's a, maybe a bit harsh. Yeah. You would say that if he was a tier one player. Yes. But I don't... I think, I think he plays well in the context of the games that he's I given. I don't but... think Namibia have a better loose head than him. Yeah, I think that's um, also true. But Johnny, Johnny Redling Hayes, Hayes is weirdly... Comes good. Yes, yeah. exactly. Weirdly in his youth at this but point. But I think Keith Lensing... Fantastic captain, has been a great servant for Namibia in the past, is kind of at the point in his career here where he is winding down a bit and you can tell yeah, it's kind of his powers sure. on the way. For sure, um, for sure. And that doesn't mean he was bad by any stretch of the no. tournament. So I, th- I do think genuinely I think, he was good. Yeah, I do. And I think like as a leadership option and like the involvement you have the are, yeah, big captaincy type moments. Just his scrummaging is a real problem. Yeah, for sure. But it's similar to what we were saying last week about uh, Rui Cordero, isn't it? Yeah. Like, he will give anything for that jersey and to help out the other 14 lads on the field with him. And you know what? For a Tier 2 player who isn't expected to win any games, sometimes, and it sounds patronising, that is what you want. Yeah. Well, so Haki Tusselman, the coach for Namibia, yes. said in the lead into this game, our whole World Cup was building up to beating Georgia. Mm. that was their goal that was their idea these two teams had played earlier that year in the nation's cup where georgia had won 26 18 so it was a far closer game like it's not unreasonable for Namibia to going okay we can turn that around we can turn around an eight point difference yeah because this is kind of the third game in a row where it's come up on commentary that this is both teams rugby world cup final and that phrase has come up three games in a row for us now all with tier two nations and this one had a slightly different feel to it than the other two I, I feel but Namibia you can tell you know they've saved back a lot of the best players that they can for this game they have mm. Mornay Schroeder in at 10 because of the injury to Emil Vessels Emil Vessels Emil Vessels thank you very much yes one of the all-time greats Emil Vessels <laughs> he's coming up in the leaving party let me tell you <laughs> But Mornay Schroeder is kind of a weirdly similar player. Um, yeah, I mean, he is he is like someone turned the party slider up a bit on Emil Vessels. It's really interesting because in this game, he is a little bit like that. But in the previous game, we compared him to Romil Geisen. So it's a very yeah, strange yeah, 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 back yeah, and yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's like, he's the party Dan Parks. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. Like if Dan Parks played exactly the same way, but you found it funny. Yes. Instead of like, going, oh god, it's Dan. If Parks. Dan Parks played like he did for Cardiff and Connor in those seasons where they were like winning games, but it was absolutely turgid to watch. Yeah, but, but he's he wearing made a funny hat. sound effects as he did yeah. the kicks and stuff. But he, yeah. he just had like a bright pink hat with an elephant on it. Yeah, and you're exactly. like, you know what? That is very daft. That is very characterful and silly. I appreciate you, Dan Parks. Yeah, good old Mono Schroeder. They've also not gotten the team TC Losper, who yes. I presume is also injured. Has gone up previously, I think in the France game, went off mm. injured. And real shame that he's not recovered because I think he's a player that we both kind of warm to and realise, like, no, there's a lot of value to him. Like, he can leather the ball downfield, has a good skill set, you know, is quite assured at the back. So instead, they have playing at fullback Heine Bock, who has um, played a fair bit there in past, including in this tournament. But as we've both highlighted before, 
kicking is not his strength. So he's very much a running fullback. And if you can shut him down as a good fly half, like he opposes in this game, you know, you f- he gets in a bit of trouble. So Tercius Losper, to give him his first name, mm. was named in the starting team and pulled out injured the day before I the see. game. Okay. So he is actually in ESPN Scrum's match report referred to as the starting fly half. Oh, fly half. Fly half. Oh, wow. He was named at 10. I guess that's where he moved, isn't it, for the yeah. French game with Bok playing fullback there. I wonder how this game would have been different, if at all, with TC Loss for starting at 10 there. I don't think it would have made a massive difference, I don't to be perfectly it honest. If I anything, think... Georgia might have reached their total slightly quicker. Sure, sure. I feel like Bok at 15 is the more significant thing than Schroeder being at 10. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah. But of course, but... joining Bok in the back three, you have Bradley Langenhoven, who I quite like. like yeah. He's a bit of a kind of nuts winger who will just get the ball and just crash into the nearest thing and only has one gear. And I'm I'm always here for wingers like that. And even Chase kicks well, you know. I'm hugely into the fact that Bradley Langenhoven, a winger with the surname Langenhoven, went and spent his professional career in Germany. Did he? As a semi-pro, yeah. He went on and won the German championship a few times back to back. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Playing like S. C 1880 Frankfurt, who are, yeah, repeated German champions, very celebrated. Uh, you look cool. through their squad at the minute, right? They are stacked with German internationals, but they also have, do you remember David Halafanua? Of course I remember David Halafanua. He's currently playing for the German champions. What position is he playing these days? Do you know? Wing. Wing, okay. That's interesting. That's not what I had him down as. Yeah, he's he listed as a wing in the squad. Who then moved to, a tw- to 12, who then moved to 6 in his career. So he can play both forwards and backs. But to be fair, in the German leagues, I imagine he's going to try his best to get as close to the back row as he physically can. And he's going, no, you stay on the wing. You stay on they the wing. They also have a Scottish lock called Fraser Hashti. Okay. Just a strong I name. I can't say I've ever heard but of him. Okay. Their captain is a centre, though, called Leo Wolf. <laughs> That's a great name. It's a very good name. Play for Germany Portugal. For the he's World not. He's a, he's a German international. But... Uh. Scrum off Christian Bottomley, Leo Wolf, David Halavanua, Lucas Deitchman, Eduardo Stella. Oh, man, Daniel Wolf at prop as well. The wolves we are all over. Eduardo Stella. How many wolves are in this picture? Two is the squad. Can we have Eduardo Stella and Matthias Beer playing in the team together, please? We can certainly have a word. Will so, Carling. Nice, nice. I'm not joining in. So... The Namibia team, yeah, I think it's all right. I think there's some good players in it. Merrick yeah, Africa's on the bench. Um, but... So congratulations to him and his accountancy. Of course. It's weird. Merrick Africa comes on at fly half, and yes. uh, despite being a winger. And I got my hopes up very, very far that they've moved Vitboy to 10. Oh, if only. Oh, imagine. By the way, this team has Vitboy in it. We should mention that a little bit more. We should probably mention Vitboy. Yes, very exciting. Love Vitboy. No, I mentioned Merrick Afra in his accounting, right? Yeah. Because I think this could have been a very important skill for Namibia in general, particularly the Namibian Rugby Football Union Okay. leading into this World Cup. So Bob Simmons mentions this in commentary, and I somehow missed this entirely in looking at everything around this World Cup and looking at this Namibia team. And I've since looked into it, and boy, is this a rabbit hole. Boy, is there like a bunch of shit here i don't know if you heard about this on when simmons mentions it yeah i remember he mentioned something about the union and finances and stuff and i figured i'd leave that to you (laughs) yeah so 
this was a huge scandal that unfolded in the lead up to the World Cup as a, I think, quite a big distraction to this Namibian team, and in particularly a few days before the World Cup itself began. Okay. So this was kind of huge. So it all kind of hit ahead on the 10th of September, right? Which is when this decision is eventually made, which is three days into the World Cup. Wow. It's the, the Monday after the World Cup kicked off on the Friday. Okay. So what took place, right? In a nutshell, the head of the Namibian Rugby Union, the president of the Namibian Rugby Union, Dirk Conrade, mm-hmm. okay, was on the Monday, having already arrived in Bordeaux, ready for their opening fixture, banned from the Rugby World Cup in France. Okay. So he was just blocked. He was kicked out. He was told he couldn't Is he attend. Bernard Laporte? <laughs> Unfortunately not. Okay. So he turned up for their opening game and wasn't allowed in because the decision was still ongoing because the decision was officially made public the following day, the day after they maybe played their first game, but it was kind of decided right beforehand. So he arrived at the opening game in Bordeaux, was not allowed in. (laughs) Neither was any of his executive committee. All of them were banned, were told they could stay in France if they wanted, but they weren't allowed into any games, any official press functions, anything of the sort. I assume you're about to tell me why. No. So, the Georgian <laughs> team. So, no. so, you know how when national teams will, they're going to a World Cup, right? Mm-hmm. You're going. You want to bring some fans over. Yeah, right? for sure. Every nation is accordingly given a allocation of tickets to their union, which they can spread out to their own fans. They can sell them in bulk packages, etc., uh, this was particularly a thing back then, you know, where like they spread far more of the tickets through the unions, whereas now it's all done like in-house by World Rugby. The Namibian Rugby Union was given an allocation of tickets for every game from Namibia's pool. For all of Namibia's games, they were given an allocation for tickets, right? Yeah. This money was then to go into a pot where it would be split between World Rugby and the competition organisers and between the Namibian Rugby Union, who would get a cut of it. Okay, right? that makes sense. Yeah. Instead, all of this money went into the account of Dirk Conrade, <laughs> president of the Namibian Rugby Union, with a small amount of money being split off to other members of the executive body. At which point he received a phone call from Bill Beaumont saying, it opposes the, the values of, uh, of our great game of rugby union. If you try and steal all of the money in the world, you are not entitled to all of the money in the world because it opposes our great values, including amateurism. And then he puts the phone down and then he picks it back up and dials him back and goes, and by the way, don't come to any of our games and don't give away any tickets for the next World Cup. Yep. And puts the phone back down again. Well, this was it. So he was banned from selling tickets at the next World Cup as well. Then maybe European Union were told they weren't going to get an allocation of tickets at the following World Cup for 2011 That's if qualified mad. or not. So the other side of this as well, right, is that he was selling tickets above like the face value he was given. Oh, that's a dick move. He's a tout. Yep. So he was essentially touting his own tickets as head of the union. What a dickhead. Um, this was all brought up by the finance director of the Namibian Rugby Union, who, like, as a massive grass, sent it to World Rugby to be like, this guy's touting tickets. And then they looked into it and were like, and most of the money's going into his account. Snitch. But also at the same time, if you're that guy 
and you're making fat stacks from, you know, just selling on Rugby World Cup tickets, which, by the way, no one wants. So there's no yeah. point selling it at a higher price because no one cares. And even if they did, they'd just buy it from somewhere else. It's not exactly going to sell out, is it? But anyway, if you're that guy and you're making fat stacks from these morons who are falling for it and wanting to go to this stupid event, the Rugby World Cup, that no one cares about and no one's ever going to cover... But if you're giving him that dollar and all that happens to him is he gets banned from the tournament, then personally, I think that's a pretty good move by him. So, okay, so all of this begins to take place. All of this is kind of unfolding thanks to Peter Fick, the <laughs> the finance director and the Namibian Rugby Union. Nominative deservedism. <laughs> yep. However, Comrade, when asked about this, this is, ah, no, he just hates me. <laughs> so he said Peter Thick has a personal vendetta against him. When asked why, he says, Oh, it's because I denied him a job. Like, you know, he wanted like a higher up job and I didn't give him one, whatever. And then, right, when interviewed by the Namibian who had had Peter Fick, F I C K, but my accent makes it all over the place. Yeah. They had seen, they had heard a recording of Comrade and Thick talking in in Comrade's office, right? <laughs> and I'm going to read you Comrade's account of this of why it wasn't so bad. Okay, he came to provoke me at my office, and I told him to get out. He was recording the whole conversation. That was why I threatened to shoot him. <laughs> escalated so quickly <laughs> he laid a case of result of assault and i also laid a case of trespassing as he came into my office without permission <laughs> yeah bigger fish to fry mate <laughs> yeah i mean this isn't like the, the the absolute highlight of this what he had a weapon <laughs> he had a weapon but uh, allegedly who knows <laughs> that's why i threatened to shoot him no i okay i apologize i got one detail wrong on this this story the money wasn't going to his personal account it was going so he was a lawyer former lawyer who became president of the Midland European union right okay. the money was going into the account of the law firm that he ran all oh, right okay yeah um, so, so there was like, realistically we know where that would have gone indirectly yeah there's him and like three people have access to that account yeah and um, we all know what would have happened if someone else tried to access that account yeah, exactly. He will have made an offer. All the money in the world heading yeah. straight to him. Yeah. It also, because of where he paid it in, accumulated interest, because that's apparently why he chose that account, because it had the highest interest rates of any account he had access to. <laughs> that's um, smart. He knows how to invest. Yep. You know, he, he used his Monzo instead of his debit. <laughs> he then said he would hold, this was the day of the ban being put in place and all of his committee around him as well. Mm-hmm said that he would hold a press conference in order to explain just what happened. However, there's no like footage of the press conference, there's no write-ups on it, other than one article in the Namibian newspaper, which basically says absolutely nothing happened. Okay. Which is exactly what somebody who's been told to say absolutely nothing happened would say. Yeah. The one thing is like he apparently, in that press conference, clarifies that it wasn't his personal bank account it was his private law account law firm account yeah, okay which these this article and i love this i love this that it says it in the news report it's the same piece of crap just with different files <laughs> that isn't a quote that is part of the news article that's brilliant so yeah it's basically this was all taken as like a massive situation where half the namibian 
Boards were banned from games. You had also, though, the knock-on effect of this was the tickets that he touted. A large number of them were revoked. Yeah, I was going to so, say, I imagine a lot of them were just cancelled to their owners. Like. Some of them were given to players who bought them off him, friends and family. Okay. And so those players were able to talk to World Rugby and World Rugby able to guarantee their tickets back, okay. uh, which was, you know, well sorted out. But there were fans who just weren't allowed into games because they'd bought tickets off the head of the bloody rugby union there and they weren't able to get into games. They weren't able to get in because the tickets had been touted by the president of their rugby union. It sucks that they had to pay the consequences for the fact that their yeah. union's president was an asshole. Yeah. Basically, this then led to a whole investigation. Turned out he'd been doing this kind of shit an awful lot on the back of it. There'd been a lot of kind of corruption and things sliding about and going all over the place to the point that in the lead up to the following World Cup, like right beforehand, having already not been given World Cup tickets, yeah, the World Rugby launched an investigation into them in the January 2011 because he was still in the post, still there at the time. Yeah, yeah, they um, had to probably be really careful with this. Yeah, believed 2.8 million Namibian dollars had been taken by him, pocketed from other stuff. He also said after that that he'd been obeying the command of the Heavenly Father, but I now see that it was wrong, and he apologised to the Namibian people, the rugby people, and individuals. Okay, fair enough. Well, the Heavenly Father, in his particular case, is clearly setting him up to fight Israel Falau for all the money in the world. So I apologize. So no, so that was after the World Cup where he found that there was far more he was involved in after 2007. Okay. He was then, he refused to retire. He was taken out of post by the Namibian Rugby Union by force. But basically the guy that came in was like, hold on, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot wrong here. And World Rugby started to investigate and were like, this goes deeper than him. This goes okay. deeper than him. And there's loads more stuff going on after that. The point that it goes right up to date where we heard right after the last World Cup, Shark Berger, obviously a player in this team in 2007, said that he was asked to be a defence coach for that team, for the Namibian team in 2019. Oh, shit, yeah. And said he wouldn't do it because the union was so corrupt that he just couldn't trust anyone he didn't want involved in it. Yes. He didn't want to support the union. And that was the reason why Tynes Cotter retired, I believe. Yes. Was because he didn't trust the union and that he had a falling out with the people up top above the coaches. And so you then get to the point where last year, in July last year, right, right before World Cup qualifiers took place, the president of the Namibian Rugby Union, Corey Mensch, resigned, and so did virtually the entire board at okay. once. Right. Due so to is emotion. Is of... still involved? No. However, yeah. he is currently going through an incredibly long legal battle after he was arrested in 2012 for corruption during his career as a lawyer, which he then went back to after the Namibian Rugby Post. Sounds um, like an all round good egg. Oh, absolutely. So there I, was a... I, I will say, I think he is slightly misinterpreting the Heavenly Father's orders to him. Yes. The, the Heavenly Father's orders are normally, Cecilia, push really hard in the scrum. I yeah, find. exactly. Yeah. Tolupe, go fuck shit up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Israel, do whatever makes you the most money. No. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, Comradi in 2012 was arrested for... It, look, I haven't looked at the details in this case, so I don't want to, like misrepresent it because i made a couple mm-hmm. of slip-ups there that i don't know how to correct sure sure, know, sure checking the facts in front of me however essentially he was involved in a it's a corruption scandal involving a 60 million namibian dollar <laughs> advertising contract that he was involved in sort of I don't, that I don't is a few dolls but 
Yes. So he is then basically, because he's a lawyer, dragged this court battle out for 11 years. Wow. So he keeps dragging it out and adding things on and changing things and what have you. He's also like tried to run as a politician during that time and was worried this was affecting his political career. Honestly, like the absolute state of some of this, it's it's mad. I do think um, that you, you're in for a good career in politics if you threaten to shoot somebody at some stage. I think so. I think so. It generally it worked for Putin, didn't it? Um, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So the obviously the Namibian Rugby Union last year have loads of board members resign in full. To quote their letter, the resignation was necessitated to safeguard the board's reputation and rugby in general due to a motion of no confidence in the president from certain Premier League clubs. Okay. Referring to the Namibian Rugby Premier League, not yes. this. Not yeah. like Man United. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Aston Villa weren't a fan of uh, how Conradi yeah. and his boys were running things. Or so, yeah. successor, even. Honestly, this rot that begins, supposedly, anyway, with Conradi has run so deep for so long and so much has gone on with the Namibian Rugby Union that is shit. Built how upon mad shit. is it that like every single week we joke about, oh, bloody nothing we do on this podcast is relevant because it's 16 years ago, and yet this is still ongoing? Yeah, that speaks volumes about the state clearly of their union. And look, I know so little about it, but yeah. it is clear from the likes of legends like Jack Berger, Tyne Scotzer, who genuinely do want to give something back to yeah. their country that just refuse to because of their union being in such a state. At that point, you're not winning. You're not doing something well. Yeah. Well, Berger was saying he doubted they qualify for 2023 because of the state of the union. And then if you look at it, like I remember watching that qualifier on the Kenyan coverage. And them talking about, like, them going to real detail on, like, what they need to do to improve their facilities. Because they were saying, like, basically, we could be beating this Namibia team if we had the facilities in place to, you know, allow players to, yeah, you know, kind of level up and upskill to the correct level. And that's and an entirely fair assessment. And get coaches in. Yeah. yeah. And you look at, you know, the Kenyan Rugby Union, obviously a lot of it is tailored towards sevens, but having seen some of their qualifying games and stuff, like, you can see that talent in their team. They kind of yeah. have that as I say, like the, the tailor towards sevens and they kind of ha- are a bit of a Fiji light, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You, they have athletes littered from basically four through 15 who are all just ballers across the park and are sprinters, you know? Yeah. But when it comes to line out scrums, that kind of thing, breakdown and those other fundamentals of the game, that's where they really struggle against the likes of Namibia. What you need is Eddie Jones to come in. Yeah. You need a yeah. coach like him at least who can devise a game plan around that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a maverick type, really, really talented coach who can both upskill the players, identify where the weaknesses are, motivate them, but also like build a style of play around that that's yeah. very specific to that. Yeah, like that isn't just give our best players the ball. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Because there are only so many coaches in the world who are capable of that. Yeah, but yeah, so that's that's the state of Namibia. The Georgian, however, to move on to the George, the president of the Georgian Rugby Union, because he also gave a press conference and leaders this, right? Okay. Very, very different in tone. Very, very different in approach. Because, I mean, this isn't George's last game. They've got France to play yet. But it is one of the like most exciting breakthroughs of this tournament is Georgia. You know, they're one of the real stories of the sure. stage is yeah. Georgia coming kind of out of nowhere and establishing themselves as this kind of close to tier two superpower, this like emerging real power that could one day go on to be, I don't know, like Italy and Wales, maybe sure. in the same calendar year. That's a bit of a stretch, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Mm. Mate. 
they, like, they did pull out that performance against Ireland, for instance, mm. which was huge. And I still say to this day, as big a result for Georgia as, for example, those wins against Italy and Wales. Yeah. Like, that was as big a day in Georgian rugby history as some of the games they've subsequently gone on and won. And now we're seeing, you know, them bring through under twenties uh, teams and stuff. And much like what we're saying about Portugal, you imagine that seeing Georgia go toe to toe with the likes of Argentina and Ireland is probably a good thing for you know inspiring that age group because it's the right kind of gap as Portugal have have shown with the yeah. talent they've brought through. And Georgia now bringing through really good under twenties and young players and the likes of you know the Davit Niniashvili's of the world. It makes you wonder how big an impact this tournament has had on Georgian rugby. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, we talked last week about how many Portuguese players took up, like, of the modern Portugal team, took up rugby as a result of watching them in 2007. Exactly, right? yeah. You look at 2007, right? Nico Amishikeli, the youngest referee at the coming World Cup, who's the first Tier 2 referee to go to a World Cup from a Tier 2 nation, first Georgian referee as well. He got interested in rugby because his dad made him sit down and watch Ireland v Georgia in this World Cup. Of course. And it was watching that match that inspired him to get into rugby. He started playing. He then goes on to play for Georgia at age grade level before getting injured and taking refereeing. And then, you know, here he is now where he's refereeing the Springboks and he's refereeing at a World Cup, a literal World Cup. And he's clearly um, very highly thought of by the Alan Rolands of the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That all begins from 2007. And I bet there's far more players that are the same. And we're just not hearing about them because they don't necessarily have the level of English that Amish Kelly does. So he can sure. give interviews with Rugby Pass and the like. So yeah, I believe it might have even been Jamie Lyle, friend of the pod, that did that interview him. He's been doing some very good work of late. Worth going and looking. He did a piece on Argentina in this World Cup that's just gone up this week. Well worth going and looking at. He's a good very, egg, very Jamie. He knows his yeah. shit. Well worth reading into it, just if you're interested in this World Cup in general, and Argentina as well. And some of that may come up on the future Argentina episodes of this podcast. So, yeah, Georgia, though, at this World Cup, this is a stat that got bandied around a lot during this tournament, was that there are only eight rugby pitchers in Georgia at the time. Yeah, I still don't believe that. Yeah, it's kind of not true. There are eight pitchers <laughs> that are say. full-time, have rugby posts and everything up on them. Right, okay. There are a bunch more that can be converted to be rugby pitchers if need be, whatever else. Right, okay. You know. So rugby is played in more than eight pitchers in Georgia at this yeah, time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Just like there are eight where it's like, it is laid out all the time as a rugby pitch, right? Sure. However, because of how well this Georgian team has played against Ireland and against Argentina, and like, yes, they... They lose by quite a margin to Argentina in the end, but like they made it really hard work for them. Like Argentina didn't get a try in the first half. Yeah, they played um, that part. Yeah. He was absolutely delighted with how they played mm-hmm. and said, as a reward for everyone, uh, he was going to give everyone a pay rise, which is lovely. That's uh, nice. All from the ticket sales he was having going into his account. No, um, <laughs> that's not the case. But most importantly, in the next 12 months, he was going to build. 10 new stadiums for rugby. Oh, 10 stadiums. stadiums. So they're but, very much up their investment there. Yeah. Eight, from eight pitches to 10 stadiums. It's a good ratio, that. Yep. So he'd be more than doubling the number of pitches in Georgia. A huge increase in facilities. Was really excited by what he was saying. And it's very much kind of a ball rolling in order for where they, you know, they win a game again in 2011 when they beat Romania and they, you know, give a few teams a game. Then 2015 where they beat Tonga, which is kind of the start of things. Yeah, huge kind of the start of this real momentum of Georgia building. And obviously 2019 was a bit of a disappointment. You had Shari Kadza coming out after they lost to Fiji and apologising to Georgia as a nation. But they did beat Uruguay. 
So yeah. they've won a game in every World Cup since. Yeah. At time um, of recording. And now they head into this 2023 World Cup as a team that everyone has to take seriously. Mm. Like Australian Wales are the two top seeds in that pool are going into that game with dread in their eyes. Yeah. They could very easily take Wales again. And I expect them mm. to. Yes. So yeah, I think it's just like, it's a significant moment in Georgian rugby history taking place a few days before this game. And in terms of them doubling the number of resources they had open to them and a huge, huge financial surge. It shows what's on the line in terms yeah. of performing at this stage, doesn't it? Especially in a game where they've gone in as favourites, which as we've discussed in the previous two games, not every team responds well to that. Yeah. All the stuff we talked about in the last 15 minutes, Bob Simmons says in one minute. Yes, much better than either of us have. Absolutely. Because he is Bob and he is wonderful and also mowing his lawn very loudly next to Andrew Ford at the minute. Yes. Um, but let's look at the actual starting 15 let's. that Georgia put out because I think this is probably the best 15 they can field at this stage. Yes. And Agreed. it's clear how much they're going after this game. So I think in the back line, there's kind of two major points that are worth looking at. One of them is that... Arakia Buzuritsa comes in at nine and also takes the captaincy straight away. Yeah. Um, instead of Sam Karadza, who's kind of been the first choice throughout this tournament. I don't know if that's because of like a pure leadership thing. Of course, Abuzuritsa goes to 2011 as the full-time captain. So yeah, that's probably the headline in the back line, along with Urge well, Kashvili playing yeah. fullback instead of the centres. Yeah, moves from 13 to fullback in order to allow them to bring in, well, Devik Hesharava into his preferred position of 13. Yeah. And bring Jigadze uh, in at 12. Yeah, Abzurid's a really interesting addition to this team because I think he does change how they play a great deal. Yeah, I think he's, in terms of bossing around forwards, like there's not really many better uh, mm. at this stage. Like in, in terms of who Georgia could possibly have available to them, I think he's very, very good at that. Like he's not got the most kind of mobile smart pack in the world so sure. i feel like having a scrum off who is kind of the general marshal of them is a really useful thing for georgia to have at this point yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and i think he does allow them to have something different you know he's seven years into his international career and we'll get into this as we talk about the game but like he kicks far better like there's a really notable difference in the way that he approaches the game tactically to yeah. uh sam Karadza. Agreed, agreed. And to be honest, like Sam Karadza did have uh, a really good game against Ireland before. Yeah, uh, always fantastic. Crumbled in the last sort of 15, 20 minutes, as Will Greenwood spoke about on the comms, which mm. is when they kind of made that swap. And clearly they figured that they're going to do it the other way around in this case. And you know what? I think that works for them, having the and change is, of tempo when yeah. Sam Karadza does arrive. But they take Sam Karadza and Abdurazi as the two scrum halves to both, as the two first choice scrum halves to both 2007-2011, and both of them start two games each in either tournament. Not gonna lie, I don't remember Sam Kratzer playing 2011. No, me neither. He's kind mm. of slipped out of my mind completely. But he played the two games they got nilled in. Right. Or the two games they did, you know, he played, yeah, that England game where like, they were pretty much anonymous. Oh yeah, um, on. Yeah, and that uh, Georgia game, which was a terrible game, but there like, Cammy pulled... Mate. Oh, Sorry, Scotland. the Scotland game. But Cammy pulled an absolute miracle in making yeah. that episode a gold Cammy mine. was great. Um, I think the other thing on that point as well, mm. Ilya Zedganidze, the usual captain for Georgia, is not playing. I'm guessing he's injured because of the, mm. again, the state of the rest of the team being so strong. So, yeah, just I think that's quite interesting that they've got Abu Saridze in there. I think as well, looking at the pack, you've got Mamuku Gorodze with Datunashvili in the second row. 
both played pretty well, but I feel like neither of them are quite as solid at set piece as so, Zedganidze. Yeah, Zedganidze goes off injured after half an hour in the previous game and didn't recover in time. Uh, he was ruled out of the tournament with a injury, which he eventually led him to retire. Oh, um, it's a shame. Yeah, he was he very, was, very good in the first couple of games of this tournament. He he turned he turned thirty one just after this tournament, which is kind of no age for a tier two second row to be retiring. That's the equivalent of like dying in your late forties, you know. Like <laughs> as a as a tier two second row, you can go to like forty eight these days, especially yeah. back then. Actually, even more so. Mm. Yeah, he was very very good but in yeah, those first he, couple of games. So that's a real shame. No, so he he announced his retirement, and you know, retires from international rugby. Goes, that's it. I'm done. I'm retiring. Sorry. Instead, really good player, retiring 48 caps to his name, which is not bad at all. No. However, one year later, he's recovered from this injury, and he goes to a doctor and says, I feel all right, actually. Do you think I could play again? And they go, yeah, right. So he plays against Scotland A that year in November 2008. Oh, that's really good. To score the winning try against Portugal the following year. Wait, so we just... Went, came straight back out and just started playing for Georgia again full time. Yep. yep. What a guy. He basically retired for a year. That like never Sean happens in international rugby. Or no. professional rugby. He then ends up going to 2011 as a player. Oh shit, yeah, I remember him going to 2011. Yeah. He's not captain anymore. You know, he's kind of fallen out of favour a little bit. But, yeah, yeah he, was he kind managed of on the bench to... Playing the last 20 minutes of each game and just being a yeah, bastard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's great. So he, Manages to, out of nowhere, pull his international career background, gets another pressure contract with Rivergo in Italy, you know, having been playing in the Pro Day dub before that. And so, yeah, like, pulls it absolutely out of nowhere. Uh, his leaving statement, though, after the Ireland game, he actually retired, yeah, like, right after the game. His first comment in his statement was, I'm used to injury. <laughs> During the game, you never know what moment it can happen. It's certainly a pity, but say la vie. Fair play. Good on you. Yeah, that's a real shame that we're not going to see him again in this tournament because this is kind of, I imagine him at his peak. This yeah, era. I mean, he won his first cap in 1998. Wow. Like, considering where Georgia was at that point as a nation. Yeah. Like, I'll have to check. I'd have to check this, but I wonder if he played in Georgia's first ever game. It's entirely possible. Entirely possible. But yeah, um, so I want to I just quote his leaving statement again. Yeah, go You can't it. spend life being afraid. The risk on the rugby pitch is a bit higher, but the joy and pleasure gained is also really high. The oh. emotion is higher than any injury you can have. Maybe even death. <laughs> it's so rare that you get success stories out of stuff like that, where the main protagonist doesn't then get injured again and have like something that's really like, you know, life-threatening or whatever. Like It's so cool to see you just come out of it and I was like, you know what, I was just fine in the end. I love him saying that, yeah, I would... <laughs> I still love rugby, even if I died playing. <laughs> Which oh, is the approach man. the entire Portuguese team took in this World Cup, and I love that. That's true, that's true. And also, he spent his whole time in the Pro Day Dirt, so I imagine he was contemplating it a lot of the time. But it was very <laughs> much on the cards. So yeah, I mean, good on him. Glad he managed to get somewhere. Yeah, delighted for the guy. Yeah, absolutely. Should we think about the game, then? Let's do it. Yeah, because nothing happens. I think that's no. just done. No, cool. I mean... We'll see you next week when the game... No. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that I noted down is that Bob Simmons describes the conditions as dank, which yes. I love the word dank. Uh, I've not heard it in such a long time. And Bob, 
Yeah. Bob Simmons brings up a brilliant stat that is completely impossible to verify. Okay. Where he says he spoke to a member of the Namibian staff who says that he reckons the last time Namibia played in rain was 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. I couldn't tell if that was hyperbole or not. That is definitely bullshit, but I love <laughs> it, and I'm going to go with it, and I'm going to pretend it's true. But, like, if Bob Simmons is going to do anything, he's going to take that at face value and go, oh, this is very interesting. 30 years, you say? And I'm like, <laughs> yes, 30 years. However, and Bob Simmons is going to just run with it. Look, you know what I am? I am rugby. Do you know where I am? Uh, France? Nope. Nottingham. No. I, I don't know if you had this experience during this game, right? Did you have a moment where you thought you were somewhere else? No. Oh, I did. I, I did. didn't actually did. take the magic mushrooms you told me to take before watching Right, this. right, right, right. You okay, yeah, Would have really added to this podcast experience, but that's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one day we should do that. <laughs> so there is a moment where Bob take Simmons clearly takes psychedelics and then cracks on commentary okay. where he says, <laughs> I'm going to read this word for word. You thought for a moment you were in Spain at the bullfight. <laughs> Which I don't think was hypnosis. I'm not going to lie, I don't remember thinking I was in Spain at the bullfight. Don't you? Oh, no. well, well, at one point the stadium did the... Hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I can see... Is that a cow over there? It's starting to hit me. Can you see the red flag? The I massive see, red flag. I can see a big red flag. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's waving. It's it's waving. I'm it's so waving. angry. Oh I'm so God. angry now. I see that waving flag. I'm furious. I'm absolutely uh, furious. No, I'm, I can't explain how angry I am seeing that red. I'm sorry. I'm just going to run at it. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to run at that red flag. I'm just like, I need to kill it. I need to do it. I need to really take that red flag. I'm so so angry with this red flag. Oh God, where's it gone? Where's it gone? Where's the red flag gone? Oh, what? You just got mugged off, mate. You just got mugged off. I don't know what to do anymore. Just I'm sorry. That red flag. I know. You really wanted to see the red flag, and now it's gone. I want the red flag gone. I'm... And it is gone, but it's not... I didn't do it. I don't know where it went. It just disappeared in front of me as I was charging. There's a guy that... with it. There's a little I... guy. He looks Spanish or something. I'm very, very confused about everything that's just happened because I've just opened my eyes and realised I'm in Nottinghamshire uh, recording a podcast. Wait, is this is this recording? Wait, hold on. This is recording, isn't it? This is recording. Okay. What just happened? Okay, if this is recording, okay, you might want to rethink that or else I might need to shoot you. Yeah, I don't... I think... But I, I, I came to your office with permission, so you don't have to shoot me. I might need to shoot you for recording this. Okay. I thought, not just because you put down the ball at the end of the fight, because I don't, I don't have horns anymore. But do you have money? I don't have horns anymore. I don't care about your horns. William, I, I don't think you understand money. that I don't have horns anymore. Oh my God, you don't have horns anymore. I had I horns a moment I ago. I didn't realise, you actually did. It's really annoying that this is an audio podcast and nobody can see Because I became... You... A giant dreamy cow. horny a minute ago. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I had just seen that topless photo of Tommy Bow. Yeah. Oh, you've just and reminded now... me of that. And now I'm really, really needing to fight the ocean running to a red flag. It's really, really worrying, all of this. But I'm glad that Bob Simmons snapped out of it far quicker than we did. <laughs> yes. Or else Murray Mexted would have looked sane. <laughs> 
Should we talk about Momex dead on comms for a moment? Oh, Christ. There's literally nobody. There's not a worse booking that they could have made for this fixture than him. He's just a bloke in a pub having a chat. Who doesn't know anything about these two teams? There's one point where he starts talking about the next game and he's like, oh, that might be a good game to watch, actually. I might watch that. Yeah, great stuff. You're selling this. They're bloody telling you what time kickoff is on ITV4. Don't say, I might watch that. (laughs) At the start, when he starts talking about Namibia, when they first do something, Mm. he goes, oh, these should be an interesting group of guys, the Namibians. And then he says, oh, I actually watched them play the other week. I was on comms for their game against Ireland. And I actually played there once, which he's already told that story before. And then he tells us what he's learned about Namibia from the Ireland game. And do you want me to read that out? Everything he's learned from the Ireland-Namibia game? There's a guy called Berger... Uh, I don't know, but I don't think he's related to Skulkberger. I might need to check that. Um, he's called Jacques Berger, actually. <laughs> you could have got that from glancing at the team sheet once. It, so that's how Murray Mexted talks about that as yeah. an experience. Here's how Bob Simmons would do it. Jacques Berger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect combination. It, it was such a weird combination having these two together, right? Because... Bob Simmons just wants to call the game, whereas yep. Murray Mexter just wants to watch the game and have a pint. It's yeah. so chaotic. Like, there's a point where someone calls the mark. I think it's McAnelly calls the mark in his 22 and taps it and then kicks it away, right? At which point, Murray Mexter then says, hmm, yeah, a weird one that, that he's allowed to catch the ball in his 22, call a mark and then kick it back. Bob, what do you think of that mark, Laura? I'm really not sure about it. And Bob Simmons just panics and goes, no, I don't want to give any opinions. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to commentate. Don't ask for my opinion ever again. What do I do? And then he just gives the most neutral response ever and goes, hmm, there's mixed opinions opinions about that isn't the murray there's, there's there's one point where yeah murray mex is going on one of his rants about like having had barbecue sauce three weeks ago or something oh, right. and so he then like makes some sort of inane joke to which bob simmons makes a joke back that is like the most standard issue like like he could have read it on the back of a penguin type joke <laughs> yeah 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 when you're not in britain i do mean i do mean a literal penguin in a tuxedo and then, like, Murray Mexa clearly goes, like, this is great. We've got into banter finally. We've finally warmed up. And he starts, like, he spends the next he minute relentlessly. so hard to be pally with Bob yeah. Simmons of all people. And <laughs> Bob Simmons... You're talking to the concept of sports commentary. Like, Bob Simmons is just, like, desperately wishing this was the red button on S4C so he had no co-coms. <laughs> like, the moment you hear commentary comes from Murray Mexted and Bob Simmons. You know you're in for something truly bizarre. The most least chaotic commentary yeah. combo ever. I was going to save this back for later, but whilst we're on Murray Mexted, I'm just going to play this moment, which I've got written down on my phone as Murray Mexted being a dick. This is him talking about the Georgian back row in the second half. I like these loose boards, you know, from Georgia. The Batsy, Evershiritsy, that last guy, that Jack, it's his head, Jack, it's Yeah, they just sort of roll off the tongue, don't they? Those names, well-known loose forwards around the world. What a fucking dick, man. Yep. There's so much to unpack there. One of them is because obviously he's reading that off his off his team sheet, mm. and you know what? It happens. It doesn't always naturally come to you when, especially when these are names of players from different language, right? Sure, sure. Um, yeah. So you have to pick them off your team sheet sometimes, and 
you know, it's obviously like, Bob Simmons is very, very good at that and well, well practiced at that art. But the fact that he, A, mentions two of the back rows in the scrum half, thinking that Abu Saritze is the number eight, uh, which he's not. He's the nine and he's the captain. So if there is one person whose name you should learn, it probably should be the captain. Mm-hmm. And whenever Chikaidze carries the ball, he goes, uh, well, not whenever, but there's another point where he goes, oh, that Abu Sharitza, he's quite good, isn't he? And it's like, yeah, he is, but he's also the fucking scrum off. So you're looking at the wrong guy. And then him asking Bob Simmons, oh, yeah, how would you say this guy's name? Rather than like asking that, I don't know, before they were on air? Um, or just off air. Yeah. Just in a exactly. quiet moment. Yeah. Just take the little microphone down from you, going, that's oh, the great name, sorry. Chikaid, sir. And they're going, and instead on air, he, he kind of takes the piss out of Chikaid, sir. And said, oh, yeah, it just rolls off the tongue. And said, yeah, in Georgia, it fucking does, because that's the language they speak. And that's just how the world works. And then, then, then he turns into a massive dickhead and goes, oh, well known back row forwards around the world, these guys are. And it's like, yeah, maybe they are. You don't know the fact that in four years' time, Mamukuku Godze is going to be one of the best back rowers in the world. And then eight years' time, he's going to be genuinely like, famous for it he's going to get a round of applause in the millennium stadium because they all love him so much right don't be a dick about tier two players man there's a reason why you're not being asked to commentate on the tier one games because they don't oh, shut up amen amen there is in credit in in his credit a moment where he says this called god says big isn't he which no one can argue with he's got a point there He's got a point there. It's one of those broken clock works twice a day things where occasionally he says something that makes sense, but with absolute fluke. Um, My other thought from this commentary, right, is do you ever think about how often we don't talk about props like they're human beings? Yes. (laughs) Go on. Like, everything he says about David Zurikashvili in particular, where David Zurikashvili has an absolute stormer He's in this brilliant. Game. He's so good. And look, there's all the talk about his shape and his size and everything, which is one thing where, like, you wouldn't talk about a normal human being like that. Maybe you would have in the noughties when, like, fat shaming was far less of an issue. And look, I recognise, like, I've made jokes about player size and so on, but it's generally, like, I try to be quite positive about it. Like, in a, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, Union Antonio is bloody massive, and you kind of have to mention when you're talking about him, but, like, it is to his benefit. Yeah, it's you know? he's one of the best props in Europe. Yeah, he's like he's unbelievable because he's that size and because he can manage to move and work as an athlete at that yeah. size. But the like the way he'll just describe him as mobile, like you never just if you see someone in the street, you never describe them as mobile, do you? <laughs> <laughs> just managing to walk around, it's true. like because someone managed to get on the bread aisle in Tesco. You don't call them mobile, and that's not a criticism of Murray Mack said specifically. That's no, just it's how generally we talk about like, rugby. Yeah, that's how we get about this silly sport. We don't like we we don't in no other context do you ever praise somebody for being mobile. And that's the thing, because he said that and I was like, why is he talking about how mobile David Kisirakash really is? He's not known for being a mobile prop, he's known for being like a, a sit down set piece kind of prop. Oh with you go, great hands though. With great hands. That was always David Zerokashvili's thing, is like he loves a little like flick pass. Oh, to yeah, get the ball course. out of his own hands, but like like yeah, Duncan Jones is the run. same. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But then I realised, like, wait, no, he's a professional rugby player. Of course he's bloody mobile. Yeah. <laughs> and and he carries like, a lot in this game. He does. In fairness, if this is the first time you've ever seen him play, you would think he is one of those kind of yeah, yeah mobile tight head props. And this is the first time Murray Mexted seen him play. So, yeah. 
But he's very, very good, David Zirkafili. And there's a point where he goes, oh, there's that mobile prop that you're on about, Zirkafili. And he's like, no, no, that's mobile prop you were on about, not Bob. (laughs) Bob's just calling the game, man. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, right, game kicks off, bloody, bloody, blah, all of this is all going on. There is a great quote that Bob Simmons brings up as well from the, and Murray Mexer then repeats it twice during commentary, from the president of Georgian Rugby Union during that press conference, where he's asked how do they think they're going to get on against Mibia. And he says, we'll fight for the win. We've come from 20 centuries of war. We're up yes. for this game. That's a really good quote. I love it. And that is kind of how it feels. That. It yeah. is trench warfare, the game, isn't it? Like, mm. Georgia are in complete control, I think, from about minute five onwards. Yeah. Like, there's almost no doubt they're going to win this game. Sure. But there is this kind of, like, atmosphere where, yes, they're completely on top of Namibia. They're keeping them in their half. Like, their kicking game is superb. Abzaridze is particularly excellent at nine in terms of his kicking, in terms of, like, his box is, like, really low box kicking putting it into the corners, pulls off one like spectacular 50-22 at one point. And Melbourne as well, as ever. He's excellent. Is fantastic. And I think Urjikashvili, he really adds something at fullback as well. For sure. I think both in terms of attack, but in terms of his ability to cover kick and then counter kick He's a very well. multi-dimensional fullback as well. Like, yeah. He's solid in defence and he's both a good attacking and kind of conservative fullback. Uh, I think it's yeah. really handy, Georgia, having a player like that. He was a really good player. Yeah, because well, Georgia changed their fullback for every game in this World Cup. Do they? Um, yeah, yeah Gagari so they, starts one. Bokakalea goes on to play against France as well, having played against Ireland. But like the player occupying that position has changed every time. Merab Kavokashvili is the only player that plays all four games for Georgia. Wow. Starts all four games at least. Everyone else like at least drops the bench during the turn. So they do properly rotate the squad. Because I think yeah, they have got kind of, they've kind of got 23 good players and then they've got a few others that are kind of straggling in the rest of the squad. They don't sure. have much depth, but like what depth they have is of a fairly similar quality outside yeah. of Kavurakashvili, who is far and away their best 10. Yeah. The point they're not... not even putting a 10 on the bench for this game. I was going to say, there's not really someone they'd bring in. Presumably the Gagari or Kashvili would have moved yeah. to 10 if that was what was needed, but... Yeah, they weren't going to do that unless it was absolutely necessary. I think it's fair to say. Merrick Ferguson is fantastic in that first few minutes. Mm. Like, there's one point where he nails a 50-22 while on the game line. Like, yeah. he's getting tackled and he just randomly punts the ball and it lands in the 22. It's brilliant. But he, like, takes that, like, around his knees from a really sloppy pass he has to run onto, basically in the face of the Namibian pack, and yeah. manages to drop it on his toe and just nail it in behind. It's sublime. 
Yeah. It's such a unique piece of skill that comes from... <laughs> it's one of those things, and it sounds stupid and patronising, but it comes from playing at lower levels where like, you yeah, have to yeah. make those decisions in split seconds. I genuinely don't see like Dan Carter or Butch James nailing that mm. in this World Cup. I just see Mario Christopher who has been about the pro day duh and grafted getting that 50-22. I know it's not 50-22, but you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just the sheer pressure Georgia put on, like this game is entirely driven by them. Like mm. everything that is happening is either them or it's maybe reacting to them. Yeah. There's one moment towards the end of the game when maybe you get a five meter line out. And this is like skipping way ahead to the final play, but like it really stands out because you then realize like, oh, this entire game has been Georgia in control up until now. Yeah. It takes until the 79th minute for them to be on top of Georgia. Yeah. Like and the everything crowd start really doing, cheering. And it's like, yeah. oh wait, they're actually, yeah, they're doing something on their own terms finally. But like we mentioned Mornay Schrider quite a bit talking about the team sheet, right? You wouldn't necessarily know he's playing because all he's doing is reacting to what George have just done. 100%. Same with Heine Bock. Like, they're just having to kick the ball back and they have moments of, like, adding real value and doing well out of that. And but, they don't necessarily do badly out of it. But as yeah. you say, like, it's so hard to actually create a genuine chance out of that. It's just a really, really hard assignment Yeah, to escape it, it really is. It really is. I think a really good moment that kind of sums that up is there's a point where... There's a bit of a kind of kicking battle, but I hasten to mm. call it that because Namibia every time are just mindlessly clearing it long. And I don't mean that as an insult. Like that's what they're put in really difficult positions. And Murray McEstead on comms shouts, don't kick it. At which point, yeah, attempts a drop goal from 50 metres. And I kind of get his point because that drop goal was realistic and you're never going over. He strikes it really quite well, actually, but it is short. And then Namibia kicks it back and then, then he shouts, oh, run it, run it, run it. And Urjikashvili does this lovely little dink over the top, catches yes. it himself, as if to spite Murray Mexted. I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm going to make a line break, but by kicking it, just to spite you. And it's really, really nice. It's lovely. It's lovely stuff. And leads to a chance. Mm. McNally bounces Jack Berger, which is not yes. something I've ever seen before. Like, you never see him miss tackles. McNally has a... Normally when a winger has a phenomenal game, you think they touch the ball a lot and score a lot of tries. McAnally has an absolutely brilliant game with about two touches. Yes, yes. To be fair, I, I think he's excellent in this. There's yeah. recently, not recently, but a couple of years ago, I was introduced by one of my friends who's really into football to the concept of the Brexit player. And mm. I've got to say that McAnally really, really fits that description. Of Please just, define a Brexit player. It's, it's kind of difficult, but I guess somebody who just likes to just smash the gaff up while they're playing. <laughs> and I think McAnally, all he wants to do in this World Cup is just smash the gaff up. Yeah. And you know what? He has a bloody great time of it. He's brilliant. He's so good. He doesn't do in... anything that defines like smart rugby. And yet he's brilliant. There's a moment in the second half that I just adored, like really late on, where Namibia, in desperation, being a few scores down, looked to chuck it wide. And as it's going into the 13 channel, there's this long looping pass. And you can see on this wide shot, you can see McAnally steaming up from the backfield from basically the fullback <laughs> position. And there's a 50 meter run up at this one guy. You can see he's like reaching above his head to catch this ball, opening his ribs with like cartoon levels of fear setting in his eyes at this bloody enormous six foot two, 250 pound Georgian winger just pelting it at him. It's absolutely wonderful. That kind yeah. of like cartoon, like eyes popping out of his head. Going, 
<laughs> and he sees it coming. And I love that he just never runs to space when he gets the ball. No. He just runs into whoever the biggest lad that's near him is and just tries to absolutely kill him. And he does it to Jack Berger. He's the only person I've ever seen bounce Jack Berger. It's incredible. Yeah. I also love, right, that he was, at this point, basically changing club every season. Oh, was he? So, like, right, 2006-7, Bézier. 2007-8, Stade Montois. 2008-9, Argen. 2009-10, Saint-Entier. 2010-11, Macron. 2011 to 12, Saint-Entier. 2012 to 14, Armazazi Tbilisi. Outstanding. He, is, he bounces between, what are we looking at? Seven Pro Dido clubs in eight years. That's inspiring. I love it. I love it. Just, he bounces clubs like he bounces players. Hey, I love it. Also, speaking of Jacques Berger, George's first points of the game come from him punching Gorgodze in the middle of a ruck, which. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. And a Burger versus Good Godze fight is something that I dream of because they're both my goats. And it's very yeah. short-lived, but I love it. Well, I mean, here's the thing, right? One thing we haven't mentioned in this game is that this is refereed, of course, by the one, the only, Mr. Steve Walsh. Yes, it is. And Steve knows this is a boring game and has decided what he's going to do is just make his own foot. Yes. And an awful lot of that is awarding free kicks so that everyone can take a quick tap. Yes, yes. And also, whenever Georgia get into a kickable penalty in the first half, he just gives them a penalty because it's just like, well, we might as well get the scoreboard rolling so it can actually open up in the second half. Yeah. And he's clearly approaching this in the way that a lot of spectators down the pub do and just going, oh, you know, what? If, if they can just build something up now, you know, then we'll have an entertaining second half. And he clearly has exactly the same thing, except he who controls himself also controls the game. And so, right, so when Jacques Berger goes to pick a fight with Muku Gugodze, <laughs> right, when Jock Berger picks up Mamuku Gorgodze, two of the hardest men in 21st century rugby, like yeah. since the game's gone professional, two of the hardest men it's ever produced. When those two start a fight, he doesn't blow his whistle. No, he waits he until it. He, he sits there like front row seat. He goes, This is perfect. Like, he watches a pay the most this. unstoppable force fighting the most immovable object in well, rugby like, history. So, Godzilla versus Kong made like 460 million at the <laughs> box office a few years ago. Like, if you'd put Burger versus Gorgonze out instead, you you'd could have made twice that easily. In, wouldn't you? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. He'd pay for the Sky box office for that, but instead, it's <laughs> happening straight in front of him. So, just Steve Walsh sits there. There and just watches this fight happen and in the moment it ends he blows a penalty like the moment like the two of them get up and like everyone walks off he blows for the penalty to Georgia because you know Berger was the one that actually threw a punch he calls Berger over and goes you clearly punched him if you do that again I'll give you a very heavy warning and think about giving you a yellow card <laughs> maybe but probably not and Berger kind of like is looking at him like wait you saw that and I'm staying on <laughs> Like, I've been playing, like, Curry Cup B Division. Even there, that's a card. If the referee sees it, it's a card. I've picked their biggest guy and punched him. Like, I know what I'm doing. Send me off. The application of Steve rules in this game are honestly next level. Like, Because it's not normal Steve rules. Normal no, Steve rules is like so everything different. goes, all forward passes go, everything runs. Like the most open running rugby is encouraged. Like like it's a 
Barbar's game. Yeah, exactly. And look, I've played a little bit of and watched a lot of Vets Rugby before, mm. right? So over 35s, all like pissed up. Yes, exactly. Yeah. All pissed up. All of them, you know, don't really run that much in the whole thing, right? There's a thing that usually happens in Vets games. Well, when it comes to doing a ruck, or I suppose mm. sometimes when it comes to doing a scrum, there's an unspoken agreement between the two teams and the referees, right? That if you come slightly in the side of the ruck to take mm. a bit of a shortcut, then you're probably good, right? Or if you're in the scrum and you're not quite driving straight or you slightly dip to the floor and slightly end up collapsing it, you know what? It's fine because we're all in the same boat and just trying to get through this game, right? And there's an interesting thing about this game where that the sort of same thing is kind of applied because... As we've already stated, it's absolutely hammering it down in this game. Yep. Right? The rain is awful. It is dank. And the conditions are so slippery that every single player is coming off their feet at every single breakdown throughout this entire game. Like, nobody legally actually clears out a run mm. here. And there's one point where just Georgia get in front of goal and Steve, Steve Walsh just goes, nah, off feet, stealing off. I'm just going to give Georgia a penalty here to make it 6-0 because I fancy seeing more points. And... You know what? Fair enough, Steve. Yeah. He's just, he's adapted to Steve Rooks. You know, like the best, the best players are the ones who can adapt their game when opposition get used to them as they get older, as their bodies change and slow down, right? Yes. Steve has adapted his game to wet weather rugby. Yes. He has adapted the rules of Steve, Steve Rules. He's adapted the Steve game entirely. You know who hasn't adapted their game to wet weather rugby? Who? Georgie Skinnin. Oh, because- yeah. He it was brilliant in the Ireland game, as you mentioned. God bless him. He has such a shocker in this game. Because mm. every single time Namibia get the ball, they go, right, okay, well, we've found one way that we can possibly get in this game. And that is if we kick it to the left. Because Georgie <laughs> Skinnin drops absolutely everything that yeah. comes his way. He has a real shocker in the wet conditions. Like, there's a point in the second half where he catches a ball and the commentators start talking about like what a big thing that is. And you know you're in trouble at that point. Yeah, bless him. Thankfully, World Rugby don't share the clip of him dropping those balls all the time. Very so true. no one will ever remember it unless Will Owen brings it up on a podcast. That's true. That's kind of a dick move of me. You know what? He was good. Good. Okay, <laughs> Namibia do one of the stupidest things I've ever seen on a rugby pitch. Oh, go on then. What is it? Where I think it might even be after Merab's brilliant non-50-22. Okay. Where uh, George... No, well, that's the team, Namibia, the one in blue. They have a throw into the line-outs where they're doing the Chucky thing, and they opt for a three-man line-out. And yeah. they massively overthrow it to the tail to a Georgian who obviously has no one inside 10 metres because they put all three of their lifters and the jumper, obviously, at, right at the front of the line-out. So he's then got like 10 metres completely unopposed and just charged at the line. And he almost scores. In the end, he gets held up and like every all this bullshit goes on and maybe you get a penalty and so on. But it's just an unbelievable moment of daftness that I've, of the like I have never quite seen. Yeah, there's a handful of moments like that where you feel like both teams have so tremendously shot themselves in the foot yeah. that, you know, anyone on that day would be all right either executing that or just getting out of their own bloody 22. Mm. The one other note I have in the first half, or the one other thing I think is really interesting or fun from the first half, sure. uh, Georgia run a first wave move off a line out at one point, right? Where it's like nine, fourth the tail to nine, feeds 10, right? Who has two centers of running lines, 
the 12 runs kind of backwards away from the oncoming defense and the 13 comes in the opposite direction steaming into exactly the position 12 was coming from so like the player that was preparing to tackle is still making a tackle just is on a different guy (laughs) it's like the most direct crash ball move imaginable but involves like so many more moving parts i loved it i found it very very funny when you could just adapt that move as nine to ten ten to twelve yeah exactly like give give the twelve a tiny run up and it's exactly the same. I think the twelve Iraqi Giagadze for Georgia has a very good game here actually. He yeah runs a lot of really nice like crash ball lines and I feel like in that first half in particular a lot of we've not really spoken about it but a lot of times where they do get early momentum and they can either kick on the front foot or get penalties out of it because like the majority of penalties Namibia give away are just because Georgia make a half break usually through Iraqi Giagadze and they just panic and just seal off or you know go hands in the ruck or whatever there's something that they just mess up on because they don't really know how to play at that kind of tempo yeah yeah, he was a player that missed out on the Ireland game because they moved Tashrava into 12. Yeah. But like, I think there is a real value in those two as a pairing. Yeah. Like, I can see why they work so well together and they played so well together for years leading into and then afterwards. Because no, Giagadze is very direct, rather, and Tashrava is very subtle. And I think but that also, really not subtle. Like, one He's... of them is quite subtle in defence and the other one's quite subtle in attack. Yes. And they kind of like level each other out. Like Kasharov yeah. is incredibly direct, like aggressive defensively, mm. but actually like has a far more, as you say, subtler touch in attack. Yes, where he picks angles quite nicely and he's kind of thinks about you know the game differently. Whereas Giagadze is perhaps he's not distributed at twelve, but like he's not one dimensional. Yeah, sure. But in defense, he's far more like he floats a bit more and he's more like you know kind of drifts and ties and knots things together and keeps the line I connected. think he goes off Kasharava's instruction more indeed, doesn't he? Yeah. I think they complement each other really well. Like yeah. it's, They play really um, well. Uji Kashvili, thought, played really well at 13 against Ireland. But like I think this combination has worked much better with Uji Kashvili at 15, yes. Giagadze at 12, yeah, and all of them on the 13. pitch, man. Like, it's a really good backline, Georgia. This is the sort of take that would have made us popular in doing Georgian punditry in 2007. But instead, yeah, no one cares, we're they? talking about it to like primarily a British audience in 2023. Yeah, and all these um, guys have retired. No one cares. We're losers. <laughs> we really are. Really are. Yeah. So, George George scored a try. score a try right at the end of the half. And I think from short range, this is like, you hang this in the Louvre for Georgian yep. tries. This is like the absolute... Gold standard of Georgian tries. This is the Godzilla versus Kong of tries. Right? It's built from a series of pick and goes, and there's probably seven or eight of them in this sequence. But if you're a big forward, a prop forward or hooker or whatever, who is really, really into pick and goes, you're going to love this try. I am none of those things, and yet I was so enthralled by just... George's efficiency in yes. managing to just pin players on the floor or just wind up the Namibians and get their biggest tacklers out the game or, you know, just get a hand on them so they can't make tackle or whatever and drive through the contact and have like latches in behind and stuff. Like it's absolutely brilliant in terms of all of that little niggly stuff within five meters of the try line. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's a phenomenal bit of technical rugbying. And yeah, gives Georgia, I think, a very fair 13-0 lead. Yeah, I think that's pretty much exactly the 
scoreline yeah. that this game deserves at half time. Because they've been so attritional in how they've approached the game. Like they've just ground Namibia down and just known like we are going to control the game and points will come. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how many, because they weren't chasing a bonus point. They knew the focus was to win a game. Yeah. So they just went, we'll give Namibia no chance to get into this game. The only way they're going to do it is if they get it to Vitboy, and they do not get it to Vitboy. They don't. And like in the second half, they're repeatedly going for three pointers wherever they can. And sure, the crowd don't like it, but that's fine. You know, Georgia aren't necessarily getting these kicks, but they're getting so many opportunities to try and just take this game beyond Namibia. And so I think they do eventually get it out to 16-0. Yeah, they do. From a dominant scrum that Georgia have. Tina's Duplessis takes the ball under pressure at number eight and Berger has no choice but to just completely fly off his feet, the breakdown to seal it mm. off and to secure the ball. Steve Walsh spots this and it, it gets out to 16-0. I've skipped very hard, far ahead there because there is other stuff to talk about mm. before that happens. But at that point, when they do finally get the three-pointer and take it out to 16 points, that's a three-score game at that point. Namibia are not scoring three tries in under 20 minutes as was left at that point. No, no, exactly. Like You know the game is safe. And it's kind of safe at 13 now if Georgia keep the same tactics up. For sure. Because they are like tactically superb. Just like yeah. spot on, exactly what you want. Like there's no real arguments there. We haven't talked about the scrum, but I found the scrum hilarious to watch <laughs> in the first half and then slightly tragic in the second half. Yeah. It was a, a classic, you know, comedy equals tragedy plus time, but reversed. Because the first half, right? Georgia are completely dominant in both halves. First half with Marius Visser on a tight head. Namibia scrum completely square, but they're just happy to go backwards. Mm. <laughs> so like, the other thing that you get out of this is on Namibia's own ball, Hugo Horn's hook is clearly incredible because the ball's coming really cleanly to the number eight's feet and he's just like having to do the reverse where he's like bunny hopping backwards with it <laughs> in order to keep the ball at the base of their losing five metres at a time. But they're so happy to just scrummage square and just go backwards. They're like, well, this is fine. So they, they don't get penalised, really, at the scrum that much at all, no. do they? Second half. They just get battered. They bring Visser off at half time. They bring on Yanni Detoy. They had two yes. props on the bench. So Detoy comes on, and it is a bit of a mess. Lensing um, briefly plays hooker as well. Yeah. Yeah. Which he could Very do. Brief. He could play across the front row. He could play yeah. in the front row. He does decent, a decent job there. Also, there's one scrum where Namibia absolutely pounds them. And yes. it's Johnny Redlinghays comes on at tight head, which isn't his normal position. And clearly he's just received a piece of advice from the coaches like, oh, yeah, he scrummages like that. So when you go on the tight head, do this. And Johnny Redlinghays being a really, really good prop, manages to just completely like rinse his opposite man and like gets Namibia marching forward. It's like, holy shit, Johnny Redlinghays turns out is a really good tight head. Fair play to him. <laughs> and then every scrum after that, he just gets battered and you know what he had one great scrum in him as a yep. tight head so this world cup gets yarni de toy a contract with plymouth albion in the championship oh my man my man and delighted for him wonder what they saw him in this game <laughs> yeah not the ideal showcase for him no no he struggles a bit and he is far more prone to just like giving up and collapsing and he mm. gets away with it a few times it's slightly more mixed results considering how good a hooker Hugo Horn is than, yeah, the first half with Visseron. But yeah, mixed bag, weird scrum, but gives Georgia just like a dominant platform to work from, even if they aren't necessarily eking up penalties. Partly because yeah. Steve rules, because he wants to see them play with the advantage of the scrum moving forward. So he just lets them have it. Can I just add as well, from the start of the second half, how good is Nico Estehazer off the bench for Namibia? Yeah! 
He's excellent off the bench. So Nico Esterhazy, for anyone who doesn't remember, played in 2011. He's the guy who, the clip was shared literally today, actually, intercepted Stephen Jones's pass to set up the try for Heinz Cole uh, for Namibia against Wales, yeah. right, in 2011. He's that guy. He's six foot nine, really good, just not, nuts and bolts, technical second row, great at the He's... line out, and pretty solid around the park, you know. Extremely Luke Charteris. Yes, sort of exactly. Bean pole with good hands. And great line-out option. Namibia's line-out was far from perfect, I think, in the first half. That's and fair. they bring him on just after half-time. And they basically don't lose a line-out again after that. Like, he starts clearly calling the line-outs and calling the most of them to himself. And is so, so solid. And every single time they call it to him as well, they're getting good drives off it. Which you suddenly get the feeling like, oh, here's something they can launch a platform from. And the couple of instances in the second half where they have something usually comes from Esther Hayes' impact of the line-out. And it just makes you realise how just that, that one player who can boss the line-out makes such yeah. a difference to the entire game. Yeah, and it, just the knock-on effect the entire game plan. It's huge. Uh, he's, he's absolutely brilliant off the bench. And look, I probably won't mention him again because I think I've covered everything mm. he does there. But I just think that's really, really worth a mention because he's so, so good. Really good player. Really like Nico Esterhazy. Yeah, no, fantastic player. Really just executes his role perfectly. Hmm, for sure, for sure. Um, As does Merab, who is exceptional apart from his goal kicking. Yeah. Which we haven't really shit. mentioned, but he is missing penalties he should be getting left, right and centre. There's a lot of missed penalties we've just n- neglected to mention. Yeah. Until somewhere around like, what is it, 50-odd minutes, Georgia get a penalty inside their own half and they go, you know how Merov missed three penalties from really gettable positions inside the 22? Yeah. Should we, should we let him have a crack from inside his own half? <laughs> Obviously he misses. He's well short. The Abusarita has to be right, but... in Dick of the Day nominations for that, surely. Yes. Yeah, just a mad, mad decision. Fitboy still doesn't get the ball. Um, no. He does, however, put Zirakashvili into touch. With like a yes. really textbook tackle, which is a really good moment. However, not long after taking the shot from halfway and missing, Merab gets another chance from between the posts on the 22-metre line, and the crowd start booing him for going for goal. <laughs> and I imagine it's not because they want to see them running the ball or scoring tries or anything. It's just because they don't want to look at him missing another penalty. Yeah. I think that's kind of become the vibe, though, isn't it? Yeah. No, for sure. It's... Very frustrating, um, the amount of but kicks he's straight up missing. That kick he puts over on like 68, 67 minutes yeah. kind of is the turning point. Because as you said, it's sure. the point at which they go to three tries in order for Namibia to win it. And, and it's, it's the point at which Namibia start playing far less conservatively. That's it. kind it's of point where Namibia start getting things right. Mm. And uh, Eugene Yangshi's, I think, is really good off the bench as well. Yeah. And like is putting in tactical kicks to, uh, I think to space. Georgia have put so much pressure on Namibia, Namibia have, as I said earlier, spent the entire game reacting to what Georgia have done. Mm. And it's only once they change those halfbacks and they bring on Merrick Africa and they bring on Eugene Yankees in particular, that we start to see Namibia try things that could be on their own terms. Yeah. And they may not be the best decision they could be making in that moment. And a few of them do backfire on them and result in loss of territory and even points. But they're more likely to score them something and more likely to get them the free tries they now need. Yeah. Uh, so they start taking far more risks that last kind of 15 minutes rolls around. This Janchi's first real impact is he puts in this box chip kind of thing mm. for Langenhoven. And like it would require an extremely lucky bounce for Langenhoven to score off it. But 
there is like a 10% chance that that extremely lucky bounce happens. And obviously it yeah. doesn't, right? <laughs> but it does feel like, oh, right, they're starting to play out 60 minutes too late. Yeah, that's kind of the vibe, isn't it? However, they do go for one very ambitious pass all the way out to Bradley Langenhoven. And who should he see flying up towards him? In fact, I don't think he does see him. Who should come up on his blind side? But Araki Mashikanelli. Yeah, it's a pretty literal man and ball hit because he hits the man and then he hits the ball. Um, (laughs) Both go absolutely flying and it just then kind of wakes up and goes, oh, right, I've got the ball and there's no one in front of me. Why don't I score? He runs it in from like 45 metres just because he's made a good tackle. It's great. Yeah. And Pure like, wrong, defensive rugby. He totally knocks it on in the tackle, but I think the tackle is that good that he just deserves to get <laughs> points off it, you know? Yeah. Like, who cares? It's Steve Rules. And Langenhoven shits himself to such a degree. <laughs> he does. I don't blame him. So, like, it's a really played... good piece of defence. Like It is. It's fantastic. The fact he got he comes five, up from so far out off well. it. Yeah. yeah, the fact he gets seven points off it is much more just than if Namibia got a scrum for it, you know? So, like, we were playing touch on Friday night, right? Like, casual, not just the two of us, during a, a, a casual touch session on Friday night, right? Indeed. And there was a father and son there who are both Fijian. Oh, my God, they're fucking class. They're, they're so good. Excellent. They're Fijian wonderful Dad's to watch. an unreal player. They're, yeah, fantastic to watch, great to play with, frightening to play against, yes. right? And like, so I'd played, there's one week where you weren't there and I'd played on the same team as Father Fijian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know the names, I apologise. And also I don't know whether they'd want it to be shared, but whatever. Yeah. Um, so I was on his team and he is the most aggressive touch rugby defender I've <laughs> ever seen. He would fly up and just like blindside people all the time and like absolutely nail them. But he'd kind of wrap both arms and like not take them to ground, but still like fly up and smash people. And after a while, kind of he was defending on the wing and I was in the kind of 13 channel pretty consistently. And I was learning to like, well, can you am like drift outside as he shoots in so that I'm covering the wing as he like shoots in and covers the 13 and we kind of swap men to cover, or swap, you know, generic players, just mixed touch. And so I got used to that defensive system, right? Skip forward to this Friday just gone. And I find myself the other way round. Yes. I'm, it, we're in a position, right? Where I think you're actually outside me. I think you're the person on the far wing. Sure. You might have been giving me the pass. You were definitely around me on my team. And I received the ball and we have a clear overlap and I should be like getting into space and like, you know, going for the corner with a guy in support. And suddenly, suddenly I see coming up on me and like the, the smallest bit of my peripheral vision Fijian dad. Yes. And obviously and you cough up possession. Because what else obviously, would you do? What I do is I think, this is fine. I've got a guy outside me. So I fling the ball 20 metres <laughs> over the sideline. And what was great after that, because I looked at that and thought like, oh, that's, you know, some kind of, you know, that's, you know, not, not, your, not your finest moment, mm. you know. And then you come up to me and say, look, I'm not going to say sorry because I don't think what I did was a mistake. Um, <laughs> no. not, this, this isn't me making an excuse. But just so you know, the reason why I flung that pass, pass into touch is because I was getting blindsided by a Fijian. And I stopped and went, yes, you were. 
<laughs> and you said, yeah, that's the first time that's happened in my entire life of playing rugby. I've never had rugby. that before. I've but never had a South to fly at my blind side and suddenly you're like, ah, shit, I've got the ball. And like, you d- you didn't have a particularly long 15-a-side career and otherwise it's been touch rugby ever since. So it's unlikely at Long Eaton you're going to come up in many of those situations yeah. where you're getting blindsided by a Fijian, you know? Yeah, I certainly didn't play in the bloody PNC, did I? Yeah, exactly. exactly. I've never had a chance to ready myself what it's and like then, to play against Virginia. There was another point where I Before was at day. scrum off and you were at first receiver, kind of mm. playing off an edge attack kind of thing. And I passed you the ball and just under, like, I won't say no pressure, but little pressure. You just dropped the ball, like a really impressive knock on. And then you just gave me a look and I was like, oh yeah, that happened again. Yes. Your opposite yeah. man was Fijian, therefore you dropped the ball. That was, it's as simple as, and look, this isn't me publicly shaming you for that because we'd have all done exactly the same yeah. thing. It's just, it's just the way rugby works. It's a, it's a frightening, frightening thing. I don't mean to paint all Fijians with the same brush. There are Fijians who are very, very varying sizes and shapes and physicalities out there, but, but they're mostly good at rugby. They're mostly good at rugby. And this one in particular was bloody enormous. Yeah. This guy, this guy, this man, this man, I shouldn't say what this one. Yeah. Bloody massive Fijian fella flying at me. And he's great. And he's great. He's fantastic. Great, great fun. Great guy. Really lovely. Having spoken to him a couple of times. Yeah. Never caught his name, unfortunately. Until until you opposite him in defence. Very lovely. Until I'm opposite him in defence. Still good at rugby. Yes. Still very good at rugby. But I think what you're trying to say is that is basically what happens yes. to Langenhoven at this point. And he just shits himself. And yeah, both him and the ball go flying. And McAnally takes them both over the try line with him and puts them both down. Not really sure which one gives him the points. Yep. Uh, superb, superb work by him. Yeah. Namibia then get their moment. They have kind of their best spell of the game immediately after this try. Mm. Also, Yuji Nanki ends up playing a little bit of fullback, which is vibes, considering yes, I think he's never known for speed, but vibes for sure. But yeah, they go to the corner. Pete Van Zyl puts in a brilliant kick from sort of the 40 metre line to the 5 metre line to put them right up to within 5 metres of the try line uh, mm. from a penalty this is and this whole time I'm thinking just give it to Vitboy give it to bloody Vitboy and then they catch they drive and they have a pit- few picking goes and Georgia are just going no like we're resisting all of these we're not just resisting we're pushing you actively very backwards here right yeah, it's very like we've got we've got better things to be doing. Can you just not bother with this? Yes. And so Namibia then go, okay, yeah, you know what, fair enough, you've got a point. We'll go and use the back line then. At which stage they pass to Pete Van Zale, who's now playing ten, and outside him, a man who has gone, you know what? I have not touched the ball yet today, so I'm going to completely ignore what my backline is requesting of me, and I'm gonna come off my wing, and I'm gonna stand in the second receiver position and if I get the ball, and it's a big if, look, I'm going to have a crack, right? And that guy is Vitboy! And so Pete Van Sale goes, I hear you, Vitboy. Look, this isn't what we planned. We didn't actually want you to be there. We wanted you to be on the wing. But you know what? Seeing you're so impatient, I get it. I've played with you, Vitboy. I know what you're like. And he just dummies to him. It's like, mate, you can't just dummy to Vitboy. And that's the second time that Pete Van Sale in particular in the second half has dummied to Vitboy when he's had the time to pass it to him. It's disgusting. 
At one point early in the second half, Bob Simmons says, I don't think Ryan Vipboy has had much of the ball. And I found it so disturbing to hear his first name. I know, yeah. It's just, he's Vipboy. Like, it was more worrying to me that I'd heard his first name than that he hadn't had the ball. I mean... And it's pretty disturbing me, that he hadn't had the ball. Yeah. Because he, he loves the crack. Great. And he the worst the thing crack. is, right, this is probably the last time we're ever going to see Ryan Vipboy play. Okay. Who is Ryan Vipboy? Vipboy play. I want to watch more of Vip Boy. Can we please, instead of doing World okay. Cups, just watch all of his games that are televised? Once we've done the Reese Witherspoon movies, yeah. and we need to do the African qualifying, which would include Vip Boy. Yes. Okay, we've got a plan now. I just want to do every Vip Boy game ever. We've got I want a plan. To watch them all. We've got a plan because I love him so much. But yeah, so at that point, Pete Fanzel gets nailed after throwing that dummy, and Steve Walsh goes, "Ah, oh, don't worry about it, fellas." It was playing a penalty advantage. Jacques Nivenhaus takes the ball, goes for a quick tap, puts it on the floor, taps it, and then fumbles it and knocks it on. And it's just really annoying because yeah. they could have either scored a try or better announced a Vip Boy. And neither take place. No. They end up slammed right back into their own half. There they are, hanging around on the halfway line. And it's like a slightly sad succession of backline attacks. Yes. However, one of them does end up with... Vipboy gave the ball for the yeah! first time of the game on the 80th minute. And I got so excited at this point because Namibia were attacking towards the right-hand side and Keith Lensing gets the ball. And I'm like, Keith, do the right thing. You've got Vipboy outside you. You've got a good like five metres. Like, you've got actual room to pass to him in. And he weighs up this pass and he looks at him he's like... I'm going to pass to you, Vipboy. And Vipboy's like, do it, hit me. I'm so ready for the ball. I'm so ready to have a crack. And I got so buzzing. And Keith Lensing throws in this really shit pass right, but it's completely fine because it's Vipboy. And it's I Vip just Boy. start writing down in block capitals, Vipboy has finally has a crack! At which point, I think this is the one you were referring to earlier, Macanelli comes in and absolutely pastes him. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had written down, like, there Vip is Boy. a crack, and it is his ribs. I was about to say that. I was about to say I'd written down he Sorry. has a crack, and then I wrote Ed Rib. Crack de hey. um, at the end. I'm sorry for ruining your joke that you spent yeah. minutes preparing. It's okay. It's okay. But Fitboy got the ball, and you know what? Fit he may Boy have got, got nailed by Macanelli, but as soon as that ball comes out, because I was on Fitboy watch, obviously, whenever he was involved, yeah, uh, as yeah, soon yeah. as that ball goes out of that breakdown, Fitboy just springs back to his feet, like, straight away. He's like, right, I've done something. Give me another go. I want another one. I want another one. Let's go again. He's clearly just looking at Macanelli, just like, you know what? You may have just smashed me, but guess what? I'm still Fitboy. And above all, if he is anything, he is Fitboy. And you know what? I'm not going to deny him that. He is indeed Vipboy. He's so Vipboy. And he's just always, nothing can ever stop him from being Vipboy. He will never get knocked down again. And look, there are plenty of things that happen that happen to people that aren't Vipboy, but everything that happens to him does happen to Vipboy. Exactly. And results in him still being Vipboy at the end of it. And he's very keen to make that known. Can I give you a statistic? Yes. There are three international rugby players born in Rehoboth in Namibia. Okay. Certainly from the like, professional era, from the last however long. I would appreciate it if you could take a punt at who those are. And by saying that, I want you to just name three random Namibian rugby players. Okay. Not necessarily the most famous, but just like, you know. Vitboy. Vitboy? Yes! Jack Berger. Not Jack Berger. Cleveland Lobster. 
Cleveland Loeb, sir. I was absolutely certain. I was more certain for him than I was for that yeah. When you said famous, I was like, well, I'm going to get rid of Prince Klaseb. No. And Merrick Africa is the other one. Okay, that's pretty cool. That so, Cleveland Loeb, sir, whose name comes into my head on a daily basis. <laughs> I, like, at least once a day will think the name Cleveland Loeb, sir. I last thought the name Cleveland Loeb, sir, about 3 p.m. today. <laughs> I was leaving. I'd been, I'd been to Tesco. I was walking home. And the name Cleveland Laubser came into my head as I was listening to a podcast. Honestly, I can vouch for you. You bring this up regularly. How, uh, and it's a problem. Yeah. I just think his Very name strange. constantly, all the time. Yeah. And that's why I knew when you said... Name yeah, it would be Cleveland Laubser. I knew it would be Cleveland Laubser. So, yeah. Right, one more thing happens in this game. Because yes. Namibia keep trying to play off this. And you already mentioned it. But a thing they happens... They have an absolute nightmare. An absolute nightmare of a pass goes in. David Kasharava picks off this really simple telegraphed floated pass. They kind of go straight into his hands. Like it's just, it's not, it's not a great pass. And he very, very slowly runs it in. Yes. He's not interested in looking flash there, but he really rubs it in that Namibia have passed as many times to David Kasharava as they have to Vip Boy. He's now a member of parliament in Georgia. And he was probably always destined from his pace for a job that is mostly sitting down. Yes. That's described as a seat. I also have written down nice dive. Yeah. Lovely dive. Lovely dive. But then we cut, so we cut up to some Georgian fans in the stand. And one of them is like so emotional, like looks clearly overcome that he can't, he can't believe what he's seeing, that they're winning a game in this style by this margin at Rugby World Cup. Because once the conversion goes over, this is 30 nil. Like, this yeah. is a huge result for Georgia. As I said, they were beating Namibia by eight points earlier that year. It's a great result for, so for them, and they really deserve it. On the it. biggest stage, having never won a Rugby World Cup match before, to put this together, it's amazing. Like, it's an amazing result for Georgia. Their first ever World Cup win is by 30 points. Yeah, it's a fantastic result. As I say, they so richly deserve this. Um, and like, not just for today, but in their previous no. exploits in this tournament. Like, they beat them by a bigger margin than Ireland do. That's... A really, really good result for them. Yeah. And to say how one-sided that is for their first Rugby World Cup win. Well done, Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But we we should celebrate the other team, I think. I indeed do think that we should. It's time for the Namibian leaving party. Yes. Again, we've, we've talked a bit about our reflections on this team earlier on in the pod, but... I really like this group of players and I really like what a lot of them go on to do. The likes of the Nivenhaus, Berger, Duplessis, back row. It's probably, I'd say, the standout unit in that team. We've spoken about Keith Lensing, Hugo Horn, like really, really good servants to Namibian rugby. And again, like players like Johnny Redlinghays and Eugene Yanchis who end up playing for a lot longer after this. Yeah. You can look at that Namibian squad and there's plenty of players you can pull out, plenty of players you can go to and go, you know, this is a great player, that's a great player. Schottberg, we mentioned, obviously goes on to become a real standout. But like right throughout the team, you know, Mornay Schreider, obviously, for obvious yes. reasons. Emil Vessels. Emil Vessels, uh, what a player. The tinfoil 10. Pete Van Zale, really solid. TC Lausper. However, I think the real standout, when you look at this in context, right, the most important figure for this Namibian team. I mean, there's two, right? One of them, we both know, and it is... Vip-boy! And we'll come back to him in a moment. Yes. Because I think the other key is Hacky Tusselman. 
the coach. Okay. So Go on. the thing is, right, we talked about this as this isn't necessarily as strong as maybe a 15 as they would have at the following World Cup. Mm. And yet they overperform. That's so true. Pretty much, because Hacky's Hustleman is clearly, and when you hear players, you read players talking about it, you hear players talk about it, he was clearly a really great motivator mm. of rugby players. You know, like, they're not necessarily the most tactically advanced. They're not the most skilled. That's fine. That was never going to be the case, right? There's a great right? culture in this team, isn't there? Yeah. And a real sense of bite and dog. And, and oh, dog on the pitch? Dog on the pitch. It makes you wonder, without that, would Jacques Berger have happened as a world-class player? Yeah. I don't know, because I feel like such a large part of why... And again, I think he's I think fantastic he in this but... tournament. Yeah, maybe so, because he was a world-class talent in rugby. But I do think such a part of, part of it was because of his attitude towards defence and tackling and so on, hard work. Yeah. And I feel like he managed to showcase that on the world stage and got snapped up by Saracens as a result of that. And I think he's excellent in this World Cup and he is more excellent in each World Cup he goes on to play after this, as we've kind of yeah. previously discussed. And it makes you wonder what a huge part Haggis Hustleman had to play in yeah. his development. Yeah. And so he clearly just gets the best out of this group of players in yeah. a way that Johan Degar, so the following World Cup, doesn't quite, I think. Yeah. He clearly like, has a solid group of players and does a solid job with them and clearly leans into tactics that apply to them. And it's probably a more tactically advanced coach Yes. Like in terms of the amount he's getting out of his players from a sheer like effort and like commitment standpoint, there's kind of no comparison. Yeah. Like Hacky's Hussman, I think, is fantastic. Other than the Fiji game in 2011, you wouldn't say Namibia overperformed, would you? No, exactly. Whereas here, you would say in every basically game. all Pretty of them, every game. He d- they do, you know, arguably not this one, but I think that's because Georgia do overperform no, that's in this game. Yeah. Uh, I think so. I've, also, I think clearly, factors. This team are tired. You know, they're playing their last game on the 16th of September. It's a long right? tour. Yeah. So Namibia's first game is on the 9th of September, right? Okay. Their last game is on the 26th. That's such a tight turnaround. For so like so 17 days. That's nothing. 17 days for the full four games. That's nothing. Said goodbye way too quickly. Uh, that, yeah. That's a ridiculous turnaround for four games. Yeah. With the is. lack of resources they have as well. It really is. But we can't leave the Namibian leaving party without, of course, talking about the biggest party animal of all. Absolutely. Your boy, my boy, Vip boy. Maybe the greatest boy. He is. Honestly, man, like, look, we joke around him, but I've genuinely had more fun with him than most players I've ever watched on this podcast. And we described it when we first started on the first Namibia game as the super boot effect of a player yes. that you immediately just get what they are. You get what they are, what their vibe is, and you just gravitate towards it because they are so them and so individual. This boy thing, though, was born entirely out of us both watching him and loving watching him independently. Yes. And both of us latched onto him as like a really entertaining, fun, like amazing to watch as a spectator player who was just like an immense party of a guy yeah who, as you say he loves having a crack but like he loves having a crack he <laughs> loves to take a bloody run at a defense he loves to try and score out of a situation where he should be just trying to not go into touch yeah exactly he's like and he's a dumb he never passes the ball no uh, he why just... would he he's vip boy <laughs> he's fit boy and sure you can tackle him into touch but he remains vip boy if you do that. he will always be vip boy there, there was the oh, question can you be the boy at all times? And he would answer, yes, you can. 
I think when we do our tournament wrap-up and team of the tournament, I think his name will come up some more. I think it might. I think it might. Oh, uh, I love VitBoy. I Thank love you, VitBoy, Boy, for the amazing memories. I'd never heard of you. I've tried to find you on Instagram since. Uh, <laughs> and have failed. So make yourself known, VitBoy. Younger than Johnny Sexton still. That's so funny. So, and indeed, thank you to Namibia and thank you to Petto and Gucci for their song Namibian. Thank you, Which soundtracked that segment. Right, let's do Man of the Match and Dick of the Day then. Let's. I'll run through some Dick of the Days first. Sure. Why don't we? So, (laughs) at one point, I mean, Jack Nivenhouse has to go up there for dropping that quick tap at the end. Sure, yeah. Murray Mexted also has to go up there for the various things he said in this game. At one point, Abu Saritze tries to take a quick tap off a scrum. Oh, God, yeah. He t- tries to take a scrum quickly. A scrum is given and he taps it and tries to go. And Steve Walsh is like, no, I know Steve Walsh will play Steve rules, but even I'm not going to allow that. However, my dick of the day has to go to Jacques Berger. And controversial decision as to why. But before the game even starts, he is pulled over by Steve Walsh. And this is Steve Walsh, the one who's willing to let everything go. And he's told that he's wearing illegal padding and that he has to take it off. And so before the national elections, he's pulled over, has to take his shirt off, then take his padding off and put his shirt back on. And I've tried searching this up and tried to find something written down on what possibly he had in his padding that Steve Walsh could see through his jersey was illegal. But yeah, I think if you're caught in such a unique situation like that, you can get a Dick of the Day nomination to hang on your mantelpiece. You know what I think was happening? What? Steve knows what the crowd wants. He starts Steve Rules already. He just finds an excuse to get Jacques Berger topless. That's also very true. Do you think Jacques Berger was always planning to punch Gorgonze in the face? So he's <laughs> yeah. like, I need, I need some backup here. <laughs> I'm just going to hide like a small bear inside my jersey. <laughs> <laughs> and Gorgonze will look at it and go, Dinner. Yeah. Great. He's left it alive, my favourite. <laughs> So, yeah, look, you, I think there are three separate reasons for this guy getting Dick of the Day, and I wish I wasn't having to give it to him because I think he's an absolutely bloody excellent game. But Eric Eliabakaradza, the Georgian captain, who, as you say, he tries to quick tap a scrum. Yes. At one point, he does take a quick tap off a scrum that's completely dominant in his own 22 in a game like this where it's soggy as a heck. Whilst playing for Georgia. Yeah. No one is on his wavelength. He tries to throw a pass and they knock it on. And then, third moment, just to round it all off, bloody Merab Kavokashvili having missed three shots at goal, he goes, oh. yeah, just have a crack from your 15-metre line. You know what? That's an extremely valid dick of the It's day. like, it's a trilogy that just kind of doesn't let up. <laughs> it's the bloody before trilogy of rugby players. Like, it's like impeachable and perfect. And therefore, I have to award it, you know? I love it. Would I have given any of the films individually an award? Dunno. Who who cares? Because the trilogy come together. Yeah, I like it. I like it. That's a really good selection. The three colours, absolutely. So 
In terms of man of the match, there's a handful I've got written down. I think Merib Kukashvili plays very well. I think he puts Georgia in the right places all the time. I think Macanelli is great. Like mm. As you say, there's not many times where he does something, but every time he does, it's absolutely huge, and he kills someone in the process. And I yep. love that. I've got time for appearances like that. One nomination I have to give is Keith Lensing for passing to Vitboy. I'm very pleased that he did that. And I'm very <laughs> proud of him and very thankful yes. for him, for his services. However, my man of the match has to go to the man opposite him in Davik Zirakashvili for dominating the scrums and really getting about the park really well I think that Georgia do win the game without him obviously but I just think he was the icing on the cake I am going to agree with you I think this is a two horse race I think Merab has a very good game I think Masha Canelli, obviously, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. There's a few Namibians where you're like, you know what, you did yourself proud like the, the Jacques Burgers, Hugo Horn I think to say he's in the middle of that like horrible scrum performance you know, does alright for himself but I think this is a two-horse race between Abjuridze at Scrumarf, who I think is tactically so spot on. His box kicking is superb. Tactical decision-making, just outstanding. Just outstanding stuff. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think the player that has... Well, no, I think the decision between, like, the player who has the biggest factor in Georgia winning the game is Abjuridze at nine. The player who performs best in the game, like the best on the pitch, I think by a country mile, is David Zorokashvili. Yeah, he's carrying his like work. Like he carries like a number eight at times, and he carries a lot. Like he's almost unstoppable. His leg drives going in a way like you don't see further on in his career. Well, obviously he's like as I say, this is the most I've seen him work around the park in a game yeah. ever, and I've seen him play a lot of times. Very and well. he's completely dominant in the scrum. Like I think yeah. it's it's kind of absolutely nailed on for me. Like he's yeah. by such a distance the best player in the park. And even if I think Abdurizade is more a factor in Georgia winning the game, like I don't think his performance is better than. Yes, so, it doesn't outweigh it. And no. look, that's a world-class tight head we're looking at there. One of the I'm best of the era. Going for David Zorokashvili's Man of the Match. Very well. nice. We're in agreement there. First ever unanimous prop nomination. Oh, there we go. They, that must be a rarity. Love it. So that brings us to the end of another episode. We've just about managed to keep it under two hours. Go us. <laughs> Why are we so bad at this? We are awful at this, and I bet everyone hates this. I said at the start, I am not interested in this game, and then we talk <laughs> about it for two hours. And I said nothing happened in this game. <laughs> we talked about, about it for thing that two happened, hours. No, no, no chance. I probably won't. Please join us next week when we will be talking about Samoa versus the USA. I love this podcast. What a what a podcast. We think got England Tonga coming up. Like this is we're getting into the bleak stage where like it's terrible games and then Wales Fiji. <laughs> Great stuff. Can't wait. Let's get stuck in. What a podcast. We'll see you next week for more of it. Thank you very much. Good night. Fit boy. Fit boy. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 